As we prepare to hear our scripture reading today, we continue our journey in the narrative lectionary. And last week we heard the story of the golden calf from Exodus, which took place while the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness just after they had escaped from slavery in Egypt. And God was using that time to really form them into a covenant people. Well, since that reading last week, the Israelites have uh, entered the promised land, which was divided up among the 12 tribes of Israel. And so they have now been living in this promised land for about 300 years, uh, during which time it's been a very tribal life, a very frontier life, uh, a life of conflict with neighboring peoples. And there's been no real political unifying force. Instead, God has raised up certain uh, judges at times to help lead and arbitrate conflicts. Uh, but it's been a difficult time for the people. And so it's at the end of this 300 years that we meet um, Hannah and hear her story, which is what we hear today. And we're gonna hear about how Hannah is uh, a childless woman who is uh, longing for a child and really uh, longing for a new way for the world to work. And one of the things that's important to understand is that in that society, as a childless woman, um, Hannah would really have been seen as someone with no value. And so it becomes all the more poignant and powerful about the way that she shows courage and commitment as she holds fast to her longing and as she works for the kind of world that she would like to see. So let us listen for the word of God. Our scripture today is from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 20, and chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. There was a certain man named Elkanah who had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now Elkanah used to go up from his town each year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord at Shiloh. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife Penina to, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, Penina, used to provoke her severely, to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, Penina used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat besides the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made this vow. O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. 
As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you make a drunken woman deeply, how long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. Then Eli answered, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the petition you have made. And she said, let your servant find favor in your sight. Then the woman went to her quarters, ate and drank with her husband, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house. Elkanah knew his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I have asked him of the Lord. Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in my God. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in my victory. There is no holy one like the Lord, no one besides you. There is no ro rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by God actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry are fat with spoil. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. God brings down to shale and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. God brings low, God also exalts. God raises up the poor from the dust. God lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them the Lord has set the world. God will guard the feet of God's faithful ones but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might does one prevail. The Lord, God's adversaries shall be shattered. The Most High will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. God will give strength to God's King and exalt the power of God's anointed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Will you join me in prayer? Oh, gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As I read our scripture reading this morning, 
the word that kept coming to mind was courage. Courage in the way that sociologist Brene Brown has defined it as, as being able to show up even when you don't know or can't control the outcome. It's uh, like being able to speak one's mind by telling one's heart. It's being true to yourself and, and standing up even if you go at it alone. I thought of courage also in the way Joan Chittister, the, the theologian and Benedictine sister, describes it as the courage to stake our lives on what must be rather than on what is. And in our story this morning, I think Hannah demonstrates courage. She demonstrates about what it means to stand in the world as it is, but also long for, hope for, grieve for, pray for, work toward the world as you long for it to be. And she demonstrates courage by standing up even in the face of people who would be naysayers, people that want to keep her on the margins, people that don't understand where she's coming from or haven't yet shared her vision. And so I think there is great power in her story for us to learn. First of all, Hannah has great courage in how she stands up to others around her and stays true to herself. In her story this morning, there's no shortage of people to kind of make her feel bad about herself. I mean, she's in a society already where as a woman, she would have been considered less than, but then as a childless woman, uh, she was considered uh, worthless, essentially, because it was through children that you got your safety and your security and your, and your value. And so she longs for a child. And not only that, but I think she longs for a different way for the world to be. And yet all around her are people who make her feel even more isolated, even more marginalized. There is Penaniah, the other wife, who uh, has a lot of children. And our text even says that when they go up to worship, uh, when they gather each year, Penaniah provokes her, taunts her, teases her. You can imagine this if you've ever had to go to a, a family gathering, right, a Thanksgiving, and, and there's someone there who just knows how to press your buttons, who makes you feel bad about something about who you are, how you are. And you can imagine just the grief of that. And then her husband, who uh, is, clearly loves her and is trying to be empathetic, but kind of misses the mark when he notices that she's sad, notices that she's not eating at this feast, but then asks, why are you sad? Why aren't you eating? You know, aren't I worth as much to you as 10 sons, right? In other words, you have me. Why are you still sad? And it minimizes that very real pain. It minimizes that struggle that she's feeling. So Hannah goes to worship God. She is clearly a person of faith. She goes to that place where she knows she can pour out her heart. And the text tells us she just has this very visceral prayer. She's weeping and crying. She's 
She's praying with all her might. She's praying so hard that her lips are moving. No words are coming out. It's this deep and just heart-wrenching prayer. And there's Eli, the priest, who sees her. And you might think the religious person would see the prayer and really hear it, but no. Eli sees her and thinks she's drunk. Tells her she needs to stop the drunken spectacle of herself. Further diminishing her, marginalizing her. And yet Hannah stays true. She says, look, I'm not drunk. I'm in anguish. I'm in pain. I'm in grief. I'm vexed. Can't you hear me? Eli acts as so many people have acted toward women for so long, sort of chalking up their emotions to hysteria. And yet here she is pouring her heart out to God. Eli eventually hears the authenticity of her prayer and says, may God grant this prayer for you. And something has shifted in Hannah because when she leaves, it says her face is no longer downcast. What I love about this is that it happens before the prayer comes true. It's something in that staying true to herself, something in longing for something different, something in pouring out her heart to God has lifted the weight. It's helped her stay true to who she is and, and who she longs for the world or how she longs for the world to be. Now, as the story goes, Hannah gets her prayer. Uh, she does have a son. And, and, and uh, of course, we know that not everything we pray for comes true. But what's interesting about this is that when she receives this son, she honors the commitment she made. She will end up giving the son uh, to, to Eli to raise in the temple and to, to serve God for the rest of his life. But more than that, she breaks out in this song of praise. And it's this song of praise about the power of God and about how she understands who God is, which is a God who has the ability to to, to reverse roles in the world, to change the world. It's a God of, of justice, a God of leveling, a God of uh, longing for the, those who are low to be lifted up and for those who have been in power to be brought down. It's the idea that the mighty will no longer win by force, but there will be peace in the world. It's a prayer of praise where those who have been hungry will be filled. Those who have been full will be brought down so that there is enough for all. It's a vision of how she longs and how she sees God longing for the world to be. Not this, these power differentials, but a place where, where people have what they need and where peace reigns. If this song is familiar, it's because Mary sings, sings a very similar song when uh, Jesus is, when she gets the Annunciation about Jesus. And it's this, it's this song of hope that, that this is what will come to pass, that God's justice will reign. And to me, this is what 
Hannah is working for, even as she prays for a child, she is praying for a different way for society to be structured. And so I think of her as just having this incredible courage of staying true to that vision, of staying true to her longing, and of not letting others diminish her along the way. And so it made me ask the question about who are the Hannahs in our world today? Who are the people who are on the margins, who are, are trying to speak up and speak out in spite of naysayers or people who want to diminish or dismiss them? Who are the voices that we need to be listening to? And it occurred to me that many of these voices are, in fact, young women. There are women leading movements for justice, staying fervent to these dreams of a future all around our globe. I think about uh, Malala Yousafzai, who has been leading the global charge for women's rights and women's education. Or um, Greta Thunberg from Sweden, who has been uh, leading the global charge for climate change. Emma Gonzalez here in the United States, uh, one of the uh, students at Parkland in Florida, who has been working on gun reform all across our nation. And it was three young uh, women of color who began the Black Lives Matter movement. Patrice Cullors, Alicia Garza, and Opal Tometi. That these uh, women are, are young women, and particularly women of color, are leading so many of our movements. And so one of the questions I have is, are we, are we listening? Or are we adding to the dismissal or the backlash? I was thinking about this because uh, I read a, a profile from uh, the New York Times this summer on um, four young women of color who have been leading social justice movements around uh, the United States. And, and uh, these four women, they range in age from uh, 15 to 19. And so the Times did an interview with all of them, some of whom had never participated in protests or actions before, some who have been doing it a while, but really talking to them about what they're doing and why they're doing and what their experience has been like. And one of the people they interviewed was a woman named uh, Brianna Chandler. She's 19, she's from St. Louis. And uh, from her bedroom at home, she has been leading teach-ins and educational sessions about racial justice and climate justice. And she's part of several groups that are organizing in St. Louis. Um, she's been uh, speaking in, uh, locally and, and nationally on these topics. And one of the things that the interviewer asked her is, uh, what's something about your generation that people get wrong? And here's how she responded. She said, quote, that our anger is not valid, that we don't have a reason to be angry, that we don't have a reason to riot. You know, there is that super popular Malcolm X quote, the most disrespected person in America is the black woman. It's the idea that black women have to say things nicely, or they have to say things using standard English, or that they're ignorant if they speak using African-American vernacular English. I think what the world gets wrong is that the anger of black women isn't valid, and it is. It's more valid than I think any white person can comprehend. 
As I read that quote, I thought, well, that's what Hannah faced too, right? It sounds like Hannah being told she's drunk, she's not praying in the right way, she's not speaking in the right way. And this is what black women have been told over and over again, they're, that their tone needs to be policed, that they can't sound so angry, and yet they are speaking out of a place like Hannah of great grief and anger and vexation. And so here is this woman leading and trying to lead in spite of people saying that she's angry or shouldn't be heard. Another activist that was profiled was uh, Z. Thomas, who was 15. She's from Nashville, Tennessee. And um, she uh, had never been to a protest, but after the killing of George Floyd, organized with five other friends a protest in Nashville that 10,000 people attended. And um, she said it was just such a powerful moment for her and a, and a catalyzing moment for her. And when asked about, again, what's something about your generation that people get wrong, she said, I also want people to know that we're not strong all the time. We're allowed to be weak. We are teenagers. We're young women. We're allowed to get emotional, especially when we see people of our skin color getting killed. As black women, we're often expected to be the higher person. We're expected to be stronger and more diligent when it comes to our emotions. I think the stereotype about black women being strong is true, but we're people just like everybody else. And we experience emotions just like everybody else. And what I heard in that was those echoes of Hannah, right? Being being told by Elkanah, you know, why, why are you so sad? Why don't you eat, you know? Why can't you just be strong? And yet, the prayer and the longing is rooted in deep pain and emotion. And still, Z and Brianna, like Hannah, they are working toward that future that they want, in spite of what other people would say. And it makes me wonder, again, how often are we quick to dismiss people because the voices are too young or too angry or too accented or whatever reasons we, we have? How can we really listen? Well, as I think about Hannah's in our community, there's one more that's even closer to home, and that's a young woman here in Lake Oswego named Maya Gordon. Maya just graduated from Lake Ridge High School last um, spring, and um, I first got to know her when she sat on a student panel here at uh, Lake Oswego UCC as part of Respond to Racism, and uh, she's a person of color, and one of the things that she said in this panel is that she just couldn't wait to get out of Lake Oswego because of all the racism um, that she had faced. And I think of her as someone who demonstrates that kind of courage of Hannah, uh, willing to, to um, stay true to who she is, to stay true for the vision that she has for uh, the kind of future that she wants for our city and uh, for our, our nation. And, and there, I know there are many other um, teens like her, but she has had a, a, a really strong impact here in Lake Oswego and, and at her high school, helping to start the diversity, equity, and inclusion group there, and then uh, serving in the uh, school and city level as well. 
So uh, one of the things that Maya did for her senior project um, at Lake Ridge was to create a documentary. It's called Lake No Negro, and it talks a little bit about the history of uh, racism in the city, and it traces sort of some of the recent um, movement for change and how um, people are holding on to that dream of a better future. So we're just gonna play a short clip. The whole um, movie, uh, the whole documentary is about 15 minutes long. So we're just gonna show the portion at the beginning that talks a little bit about the history of Lake Oswego and it is gonna show a little snippet from the panel of students. And we won't hear Maya speaking there, but still we'll hear the voice of young people and what it's like to um, be faced with backlash, with racism, with naysayers, but how they are still uh, hoping for and working toward the kind of vision that we want in our community. So uh, Maya's voice is peppered in there. You'll get to hear her speak. Um, but she is one of those people showing that courage and holding up uh, a vision of what the future can be. So let us listen to the start of this documentary.